Hi, everyone. I'm Janet B. Recovered from Compulsive Eating and Bulimia. Welcome, welcome. Glad you are all here. And we are going to be finishing my favorite chapter tonight, We Agnostics. So for those of you who weren't here Monday, a super quick recap. Um, the chapter starts out by saying, if when you honestly want to, you find you can't quit entirely, um, you're probably an alcoholic or a compulsive eater. So it is possible to truly desire to, to want to stop binging, but being unable to. In fact, that's what defines an addict. And they say, okay, if that's you, the problem isn't lack of desire, isn't lack of the perfect food plan, the perfect sponsor, knowledge. The problem is lack of power. And they tell us the main purpose of this book is to enable us to find a power greater than ourselves, which will solve our problem. That's what the purpose of this book is. And they say, yeah, but what about if someone says I'm an atheist or an agnostic? And then they talk about it and they tell us that you may think you're an atheist or agnostic, but generally we just have to clear away some prejudices to see what's getting in the way of blocking us from God. And one of the beautiful promises, um, page 46, one of the most important promises, I think, it's as soon as we admitted the possible existence of a creative intelligence, a spirit of the universe underlying the totality of things, we began to be possessed of a new sense of power and direction, provided we took other simple steps. So our problem is lack of power. And as soon as we become willing to believe that a power greater than ourselves, and they say very clearly, which is God, but of course, God as we understand him, as soon as we believe or are willing to believe that God can restore us to sanity, it says we're on our way. It tells us, page 48, some things that handicap us, obstinacy, sensitiveness, unreasonable prejudice. But they go on and they say, we have to work through it. And last, on Monday, we talked in depth about how to work through these kind of things. So if you missed it, you know, again, um, our stuff is recorded and it's there to help you. So we left off on page 53 and they talk about logic and they say, okay, we, you know, our faith is reasonable, right? Because we see so many people who say, as soon as I came to believe, the obsession to drink or to binge was lifted right out of me. But what if someone says, I don't have faith? And page 53 and 54, they tell us really two critical components of, um, I guess, this coming to believe that God can restore us to sanity. And the first is faith. And they say on page 53, when we're crushed by a self-imposed crisis, we couldn't postpone or evade. We had to fearlessly face the proposition, either God is everything or else he is nothing. He either is or he isn't. What was our choice to be? But what does that mean? Either God is everything or else he is nothing. I mean, is God like my pen? Is God my water bottle? Am I supposed to say, oh, this is God, this is God. So I may as well bow down to my pen and you know, burn incense to my water bottle. That's not what they mean. Either God is everything, number one for us, or things don't work, or else it's as good as if he's nothing. 
right? And they say, what is our choice to be? It's really interesting. Like I have a choice in what I believe. And they're saying, yeah, we do. I can just as easily choose to believe that maybe there's a God. And I mentioned it on Monday, but I'll say it again in case it helps someone. What do we do if we are not sure there's a God? We're willing to believe, but we we just don't. Um, we pray. And that may sound kind of ironic, like, well, I don't believe in God and you're telling me to pray. And yeah, but we pray an honest prayer. We don't say, dear God, I know you're there. We say a prayer like this, dear God, I don't know if you exist. And if you do exist, I don't know if you care about me. But if you do exist and you do care, I need some help. Please help me to find you and please help me. Worst thing that can happen is nothing, right? You're talking to air. But as we talked about on Monday, in the spiritual world, faith actually does something. It's a catalyst that um, for God to spring into action and do a renovation job on our hearts. Now, God created the world. He could have created it any way he wanted, but it's seen he created it that there's certain things he does in response to prayer. So we can pray that kind of prayer and then do the things that if there was a God, we, we would know he wanted us to do. Now, I obviously don't know everything, but I know God would want me to not steal. God would want me to be considerate of other people. Um, so I can start doing things like that. So that when my husband says, as he did today, oh, do you want to go see this play Saturday night? And we've seen it twice already. And I mean, it was good. It wasn't great. And I just, I had something else in mind that I wanted to do. And I just said, sure, let's go see it. Putting the welfare of others ahead of ourselves. I think God would be, if there was a God, he would be happy with things like that. So we pray. And we act the way we think God would want us to, if in fact he existed. And on page 54, they talk about another thing, and that's worship. And they say, okay, and worship means adoring reverence, respect, and awe. And it says, we've all worshiped something, people, sentiment, things, money, ourselves. I mean, sentiment, that was me when I was younger, I would get a crush on some boy and I would write these like long, beautiful love poems about our tragic love, but how we each looked up and saw the same moon. I was like 14 years old. You know, I, I worship sentiment. Um, and, you know, so it talks about things we can, we worship and we'll get more into that a little bit later, but it tells us we all love something. We all worship something. And it says, we worship God. That's what we can start doing. So how do we do that? Well, we can think of an attribute of God that we think is really cool. Like God is merciful, right? That after all the things I've done, he pulled me out of the food obsession pit and gave me a life worth living. That's a tremendous amount of mercy. So I can worship God for that. So worship is different than gratitude. Gratitude, I'm thanking him for specific things he's done for me. 
Worship is, I'm just worshiping him for who he is. And I almost always start my prayer time with worship. I, you know, find a worship song and with my horrible voice, I'll just sing a worship song to him. Um, but we can just sit there and say like, God, you are loving and kind. And that's really cool. And I just praise you and worship you for it. So faith and worship are two ways we can get closer to God. Um, on page 55, they comes my favorite um, part of the big book. It says, okay, we saw that God made things possible, that God helped people to recover, um, and we only smiled. We had seen spiritual release, but like to tell ourselves it wasn't true. Why? Why would I be struggling and see other people recovering and say, yeah, no, there's no God. I don't believe it. Because one of the characteristics of this illness um, is we would rather be right than healed. Sometimes, you know, I know for me, my pride can be so big that it's more important to be right than to be healthy and healed. So we don't want to do that. We want to say, maybe, maybe I'm wrong. And then here it comes um, when it says, we like to tell ourselves it wasn't so. Actually, we were fooling ourselves for deep down in every man, woman, and child is the fundamental idea of God. It may be obscured by calamity, pomp, worship of other things, but in some form or other, it is there. Okay, listen to what they're saying. Deep down in every man, woman, and child is the fundamental idea of God. So that means when God created me, he gave me two lungs, a stomach, two kidneys, a heart, and the fundamental idea of himself. He cared about me so much that he planted that fundamental idea of himself inside me. Now, I can say I'm an agnostic. I can say I'm a lung agnostic. I don't believe I have lungs. This is America. I can say whatever I want. So I say, I don't believe I have lungs. Well, obviously I do, right? And so I could say, I don't, I don't have a belief in God. There's no God, but there really is. And it says, why don't we believe it? And it says, it may be obscured by calamity, pomp, or worship of other things. Like a cataract obscures our view of things you know, in our eyes. We can have spiritual cataracts. And what are they? Calamity bad things that have happened to us or other people or just bad things going on in the world, right? That was Bill Wilson's problem. Um, he said, it's on page 11, the war, the chicanery, you know, that all made him doubt. And he went so far as to say, if there is a devil, he seems the boss universal. So that got in his way, calamity. But how did he get past that? Ebby, who went and carried this message to him, basically said, Bill, I don't know about that. All I know is when I surrendered my life to God, did what I thought God wanted, the obsession to drink was just lifted right out of me. And that was my experience. And that was the experience of pretty much everyone here who's in recovery, calamity, by pomp. That's me thinking I need to have my own way. You know, that everyone exists to serve me. 
and by worship of other things. So those are um, our idols. So I've talked about this before, um, talked a little bit about idolatry. And this evening, I found um, a list of 20 different types of idolatry. And I'm going to read them off. And then Denise is going to throw them in the chat in case you want to copy it and put it in a Word document. Um, I didn't write these. So, but I saw them and I just thought it was really helpful. It's okay for us to want things, right? I want a good relationship with my children. I want to be respected at work. I want to, you know, have enough money to get the things I want. It's okay to want things. But when we get to the point where it's life only has meaning if I have this, or I'll be devastated without it, then we know we have an idol. So here's um, 20 different idols that we can have. I'm going to talk about this because this is the worship of other things that can get in the way of us and God. Number one, life only has meaning if I have power and influence over others, power idolatry. Number two, life only has meaning if I'm loved and respected by a certain person approval idolatry. Number three, life only have mean only has meanings if I have pleasure, a particular quality of life, comfort idolatry. Number four, life only has meaning if I'm able to get mastery over my life in the area of whatever, control idolatry. Number five, life only has meaning if people are dependent on me and need me, helping idolatry. Number six, life only has meaning if there's someone there who protects me and keeps me dependence idolatry. Number seven, life only has meaning if I'm completely free from obligations and responsibilities to take care of anything else or anyone else, independence idolatry. Number eight, life only has meaning if I'm highly productive and getting a lot done at my job, work idolatry. Number nine, Life only has meaning if I'm being recognized for my accomplishments and I'm excelling in my work, achievement idolatry. Number 10, life only has meaning if I have a certain level of wealth, financial freedom, and very nice possessions, materialism idolatry. 11, life only has meaning if I'm adhering to my religion's moral codes and accomplished in its activities, religion idolatry. Number 12, Life only has meaning if this one person is in my life and is happy to be with me. Individual person idolatry. Number 13, life only has meaning if I feel I'm totally independent of organized religion and am living by a self-made morality. Irreligion idolatry. Number 14, life only has meaning if my race and culture is ascendant and recognized as superior racial or cultural idolatry. Number 15, life only has meaning if, if a specific social group or professional group or other group lets me in. Inner ring idolatry. Number 16, my parents and or children are happy and they're happy with me. Family idolatry. Number 17, Life won't have meaning if Mr. or Miss Wright isn't in love with me. Relationship idolatry. 
Number 18, life won't have meaning unless I'm hurting. I have a problem because only then do I feel worthy of love or able to deal with guilt, suffering, idolatry. 19, my life has no meaning unless my political or social cause is making progress and ascending in influence or power, ideology, idolatry. And number 20, life has no meaning if I don't have a particular kind of look or body image, body image idolatry. So what do we do with this? If we, um, so first we have to look at them and Denise is gonna post this in the chat. So feel free to copy it to a Word document. Um, we look at it and again, I think idolatry is, we can treat it like any other defect of character. We look, we see that we have it and we ask for God to remove it and we practice the opposite. So what would that look like? So for example, if I see that I have family idolatry and I'm like obsessed with if my kids love me, um, I make a point in my interactions with them not to say things like, do you love me? And not to do things just to get their approval and to get their love. So maybe I do something kind for them anonymously. So we ask God to remove it and we practice the opposite because these things, these idols can block our view of God. Um, but they tell us our view of God, our belief in God may be obscured by calamity, pomp, worship of other things. But in some form or other, it is there. This belief is there. For faith in a power greater than ourselves and miraculous demonstrations of that power in human lives are facts as old as man himself. So they tell us we have faith in God and we also can have miraculous demonstrations. What good is faith without power, right? If I believe in electricity, but I'm unable to flip the switch, it does me no good that I believe electricity exists. So they tell us what we have to do. We have to search fearlessly, think honestly, sweep away prejudice, and then we will find him. And then they tell the story of the minister's son on page 56. So the minister's son, regular guy, obviously his dad was a minister and had calamity in his life, business failure, insanity, fatal illness, suicide in family members, um, resentment, pride. And there he was, an alcoholic committed to an asylum. And he's there. And we, you know, a lot of us have read his story and where he says, if there is a God, he certainly hasn't done anything for me. And, you know, then he has a spiritual experience. But the full story is in the chapter, Our Southern Friend, on starting on page 208. So here's a full story, um, 214. So he says, if there is a God, there certainly he certainly hasn't done anything for me. But then he goes and he talks to this other alcoholic there. And he's, he asks him, like, what, what do I have to do? And the guy, his friend says, do you believe in a, you know, in a power greater than yourself? And he says, if there is a God, he hasn't done anything for me. Then the guy says, are you willing to write all the wrongs you've ever done to anyone, no matter how wrong you think they were? 
Are you willing to be honest with yourself about yourself and tell someone about yourself? And are you willing to think of other people, of their needs instead of your own in order to get rid of the drink problem? That's what willingness to go to go to any length means. Willing to be honest, willing to right our wrongs, willing to put other people first. Um, and what does he say, the minister son? He says, I'll do anything. So he had step one. He knew he was powerless and he was willing to go to any lengths. Remember, willingness opens the door to grace. But no step two yet. So he really doesn't get anywhere. The man says, all your troubles are over. And then the minister's son's tossing and turning and a thought comes. Suddenly a thought comes. Wonder where that's from. Um, and he says, can all the worthwhile people I have known be wrong about God? So he becomes willing to believe. And remember, when we become willing to believe, that's when power starts coming in. And then he hears a voice. Who are you to say there is no God, right? Um, and he goes back to the, gets out of bed, goes back into his friend's room and says, I have to ask you a question. How does prayer fit into all of this? And his friend says, well, you've probably tried praying like I have. When you've been in a jam, you've said, God, please do this or that. And if it turned out your way, your way, and if it turned out your way, that was the last of it. And if it didn't, you said, there isn't any God, or he hasn't done anything for me, right? And the minister's son said, yeah, right? And isn't that all, isn't that how we pray a lot? You know, treat God like a genie in the bottle. God, come and do what I need you to do. Then go back in your bottle and leave me alone. And so the friend says, that isn't the way. And here's what he said. The thing I do is to say, God, here I am, and here are all my troubles. I've made a mess of things and can't do anything about it. You take me and all my troubles. See, not just the food, not just the alcohol, all of it. And do anything you want with me, whatever you want. Does that answer your question? Yes, it does, says the minister's son. And he says, it doesn't make sense. Suddenly, I feel a wave of utter hopelessness sweep over me. I am in the bottom of hell, and there a tremendous hope is born. It might be true, right? He doesn't, but he's willing to believe. So what does he do? He gets out of bed and gets on his knees. He prays to the God who may or may not exist. He says, I don't know what I say, but slowly a great peace comes to me. I feel lifted up. I believe in God. So he gave God his maybe and his willingness. And then God met him so strongly that the way he describes it back on page 56, he says he was overwhelmed with a conviction, a certainty of the presence of God, not just the existence of God, but that God was there with him, a personal God. It poured over and through him with the certainty and majesty of a great tide at flood. He stood in the presence of infinite power and love. And that was it. That was the last, he never drank after that. Um, and on page 57, they say, God has restored his, heal his sanity. What is this but a miracle of healing, right? Because that's what this program is about. A miracle of healing. 
us getting restored to sanity. And then they say, yet its elements are simple. I always love that line. It's like, okay, the elements of a friggin' miracle are simple. Like, here's a recipe to, I don't know, bake bread or cook oatmeal. Here's the elements of it. And they tell us, one, circumstances made him willing to believe. Circumstances. He hit bottom. He was willing. Step one, step two. He humbly offered himself to his maker. Because remember, what good is it if I believe in electricity, but I never turn the light switch on? He offered himself to God. Then he knew. Only after he offered himself. He didn't say, God, come down and do a tap dance for me, and then I'll give my life to you. He said, God, what I'm doing isn't working. These people are telling me that what you do and giving their lives to you works. So I'm going to do it with the hope and prayer that you'll help me. See the difference? There's humility there. He humbly offered himself to his maker. Then he knew. And they say, even so has God restored us all to our right minds, our right minds. Remember, chapter five says, once the spiritual malady is overcome, we straighten out mentally and physically, get restored in our minds um, after our soul is restored. To this man, the revelation was sudden. Some of us grow into it more slowly, but he has come to all 100% who have honestly sought him. When we drew near to him, he disclosed himself to us. That's a promise. So what about the people who may be sitting here saying, okay, I've done this. I've done the work. I've looked at my prejudices. I've looked at, um, at my idols. I've looked at everything. And I still can't quite believe. So I want to look um, at the ABCs on page 60 because it says we have to be convinced of this. This is like the tail end of step two before we move on to step three. So A, believe that we were compulsive eaters and could not manage our own lives. That's pretty easy. If we've come this far, we've probably got that. B, that probably no human power could have relieved our, for us, compulsive eating. Well, remember we talked about that. The last paragraph of More About Alcoholism says, neither he nor any other human being can provide a defense. It must come from a higher power. So, okay, I get that. I can't do it. Um, and then we get to C. And this is where this is where we get stuck sometimes. Believe that God could and would if he were sought. A lot of times people are like, yeah, okay, I believe there is a God. Um, but I don't know that he's going to restore me to sanity. So let's break this C down. And I would ask this, do you believe that God could restore other people to sanity? And we all, you know, if we've been around any length of time, we have to say, well, yeah, because he's done it for you and you and you. So, okay, he could for other people. So then do you believe he could for you? Well, well, not, not that he will, not, he may not want to, but could he, if he wanted to? And then if, again, if we're honest, we have to say, well, yeah, he did it for this one, that one, the other one. He could for me if he wanted to, but here's where we get stuck. We say, but he doesn't want to for me. He won't for me. 
And then the question is, why? Why do you believe he won't for you? And I think it's generally one of five reasons. Um, I've done this really bad thing. Then there's, I don't deserve it. That's a little different. That's not guilt about robbing a bank or something. It's just this vague feeling of shame. I'm not worthy. Um, I've tried it so many times before and it hasn't worked. I don't want to bother God for something that's my fault, my problem. And I'm not willing to do the work to seek him. Well, for someone who says that's the reason, like, yeah, I believe there's a God. He could restore other people to sanity. But yeah, I'm just not willing to like spend time with him in the morning to, you know, in quiet time getting to know him. I'm not willing to help others. Yeah, I'm not willing to. And I would say to that person out of the five, that's the person I would say, yeah, you're right. God probably won't restore you to sanity. But to the other four, here's what I would say. To the person who says, I've done this really bad thing, say, you're in great company. So did the founders of this program. That's why there's a nine step. You'll get a chance to make amends. When I first met the person who carried the message to me, um, she told me to read this book and I read it. And then she said, okay, are you willing to do everything in it? And I said, well, there's this one amend I'm not willing to make. And she said, are you willing to just accept that by the time you get to the ninth step, you'll be a different person? And I said, okay. And it was a really hard amend. I'd had a boyfriend who I loved, I say in air quotes, and I um, faked a rape to get him to pay more attention to me. And I didn't want to go back and tell him that I had faked it. Um, but when I got to my ninth step, I did. Um, so that's why we have a nine step so that we get to fix the bad things that we've done in the past. If we feel, well, I've tried it so many times before and it hasn't worked, um, then I often hold up my cell phone and I say, you know, I could try a hundred times to take a picture by pushing this button. And you know what happens? Nothing, because that's not the button to take the picture. But then if someone comes along, my son walks in the room and like, mom, with the eye roll, this is the button you push to take pictures. It doesn't matter if this is the first day I got my phone or I've been on my phone trying to take pictures for six and a half years. I will be able to take pictures if he shows me and if I pay attention and do what he's told me. If he says, this is the button to take pictures. And I'm like, yeah, no, I don't want to push that button. I want to push that button. I'm not going to get, I'm not going to take pictures. Same in recovery. Maybe we haven't been shown right. But if we have, we have to be willing to push the right button. Um, and then there's this, I'm not worthy, a vague sense of shame, you know, whether it was because how we were raised or things we've done, we say, I'm not worthy. God could, but he won't for me. I don't deserve it. And to that person, I say, you have two options. You could go to therapy and, you know, spend, I don't know, like $10,000 to have a therapist try to convince you that you have self-worth and self-esteem and like what a great person you are. Um, I'll save you the 10 grand. It doesn't work. Or I can say this, um, you are not worthy. You're not. Neither was I and neither am I today. 
worthiness is never a requirement. You can look through this big book. You will not find worthiness is a requirement that God makes to heal us. Willingness is. God wants to have a love relationship with us. And he's like, that's his goal. He wants that. And so if we're willing, he's not just going to meet us halfway. He's going to meet us like 99% of the way. Doesn't matter if we're worthy. It only matters if we're willing. And then some, someone might say, well, you, you know, God might help people with cancer because they can't do anything about it, but I caused this. And, you know, we can have a whole debate on whether we caused this or whether we were born with it. it. It doesn't matter. Let's, I'll give you the benefit of the doubt and say, okay, yes, you caused it. There's evidence for that. And the chapter tonight, it says, when we're crushed by a self-imposed crisis. So maybe we did cause it by being selfish and self-centered. And now we've crossed a line and we can't go back. Um, and so it's like, yeah, I, I can't go to God. It's my fault. So again, I might hold up my cell phone and say, let's say I'm crossing the street and I'm looking at my cell phone now taking pictures because I know how. And um, I get hit by a car and both my legs are broken. And a good Samaritan calls an ambulance. The ambulance comes. Do I say, don't take me to the hospital. It's my fault that my legs are broken. Just leave me here on the street. Of course not. Or do I say, you know, the doctor at the hospital, the um, orthopedic surgeon, I'm sure he's a very busy guy and has like more important things to do than tend to my broken legs. He's got all sorts of, you know, people with bone problems to take care of. I don't want to bother him. We would never say that. But when it comes to our spiritual life, we get all noble, right? And say, I don't want to bother God. That was me. I said, like, God's got war and poverty and children starving in Ethiopia. And what does he care about me and my problems? But he does. He does, just like any of us who are moms and have more than one kid. It doesn't work that like we have one kid and then when we have the second, oh, sorry, can't love you because I already love my first kid. Of course not. Well, God just has like, I don't know, a few billion kids. He wants to have a relationship with us. So um, it says we come to believe that God could, he's strong enough to and would. He will restore me to sanity if I seek him. And again, it's my job to seek. But um, when my kids were little, we used to play hide and seek. And I remember one time my husband was hiding and my son, I don't know how old he was, four, said, couldn't find him. He said, dad's hiding in a turkey place. He meant a tricky place. Dad's hiding in a tricky place. God doesn't hide in a tricky place. And even more than that, we're searching for him only because he first launched a search and rescue mission for us. This is a wonderful, loving God, not the doorknob God, not the group God, but the creator of the universe, God, who wants to have a relationship with each and every one of us and restore us to sanity so that we can join him on his search and rescue missions for our fellows. Like what an awesome God that we have the fortune, the blessing to get to know. And with that, I pass. Thanks.